Welcome to the Rebel at Large Adventure Podcast. I'm Drifter. And I'm Gypsy. Talking about ghost towns, graveyards, outlaws, heroes, and ladies of the night. Howdy folks. Thanks for joining us for part two of our Evil Knievel story. If you haven't listened to part one, we would recommend listening to it first. It was just last week. <laughs> so when we left you last week, Evil Knievel had put in his work and finally found the recognition to bring him the fame along with the wealth he had always sought. So let's continue on with what happens to our man with the flying Harleys and diamond-topped cane. So now that fortune has joined fame, Evil spent money as fast as he could, purchasing luxury cars, airplanes, helicopters, boats, fur coats, diamond rings, started making large bets on everything, and tipping servers $100. That's a good tip. <laughs> yeah, nowadays it's a great tip. Yeah. Well, he had reached the level of fortune and fame he was after. He could now travel in style when he would fly his own plane to a show, land there, get out, do the jump, and then get back in his plane and leave. <laughs> could you imagine him? Right. He didn't even have a pilot's license while doing all of this. <laughs> <laughs> so when he was interviewed by the Penthouse magazine, he said, What I do, according to the laws of society, may not be exactly right. But the laws of society don't constitute my morals. I constitute them. That's a fine way of justifying his actions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Growing up in Bew, evil was not popular with the ladies, but now he was famous. Women would throw themselves at him, and husbands would even offer their wives to him. He would brag that he slept with over 600 women. The stories would get bigger and bigger with him. At one point, he would claim that he had slept with eight women at the same time. That's how exhausting. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he was still married to his wife, who would stay back in Butte with the kids while he was out doing his jumps. Sometimes Linda would come with him, but that didn't stop Evil from going out and partying and sleeping with more women. Mm -hmm. Well, throughout his entire time, the Grand Canyon jump was still being talked about. Evil would tell anyone that would listen to him that he was still going to do the jump. A date would be set, the date would come, and the jump never happened. Surprise. <laughs> the story eventually turned to the jump not happening due to the Department of the Interior denying him the ability to jump. I thought he was going to have Robert Kennedy on his pit team, though. Yeah, so one of the stories went. <laughs> Evil then went on to lease 38 acres of land for three years. The land was located in Idaho on the edge of the Snake River Canyon, and it cost him thirty-five grand, Which is just over $233,000 today. So the new plan being Evil was going to jump the Snake River Canyon. He got to work with his rocket crew to design a new rocket bike to make the jump. Evil needed to do the jump to keep his name on the top. By the early 70s, stunt jumpers were popping up all over the place. Yeah, so to stand out amongst the new jumpers, he came up with a new idea to keep folks interested in him as he prepared for the Snake River jump. And I thought this was hysterical. So on February 18th, 1973, the world's richest demolition derby took place at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. It was the richest demolition derby because Evil was going to have a new Rolls-Royce Silver Cloud in the show as well as a Cadillac Eldorado and a Lincoln Continental Mark IV. Kind of fun, huh? Just throwing money in it for fun. <laughs> throwing it away. He had other cars in there, too. It wasn't just these cars that did the demolition derby. It was a bunch of them. Hmm. But these were the high-end cars that were part of it. Right. 
So the Rolls Royce did not fare well in the Derby. The car quickly got stuck in a hay bale and the engine died. Everyone else in the Derby then took turns hitting the car because why not, right? Yeah, well, I would for sure. <laughs> the driver, Boggy Unser, got out of the vehicle, disconnected the fuel line, lit a cigarette, and threw the lighter into the vehicle, causing it to go up in flames. He's like, I'm done. <laughs> Mic drop. Well, after the destruction was completed, evil was scheduled to jump all the wrecked cars. ABC Wide World of Sports was there to broadcast the event. As they were setting up the wrecked cars for evil to jump, he made an announcement to the crowd. In it, he said, I want to tell you something. If I jump that canyon and make it, when I land in that parachute, I'll drop to both knees and I'll thank God Almighty that I'm still alive. I'll grab a handful of Idaho dirt. If I miss and spatter myself against the canyon wall, I'll just get somewhere quicker where you're going to go someday. And I'll wait for you. <laughs> well, he got on his bike, rode up the 200-foot ramp that resembled kind of like a ski jump. Mm -hmm. He turned the bike around and went flying down the ramp. The 50 cars had been stacked on top of each other, three cars tall, but they were all smashed down. So they were kind of the height of a standard car. Mm -hmm. He cleared all the cars and a parachute dropped out. He landed successfully and the crowd went wild. <laughs> awesome. Well, by 1974, Evil was preparing to make his jump over the Snake River Canyon. The date was set for September 8, 1974. He hired Doug Malawicki and Robert Truax to design him a steam-powered bike called the Sky Cycle. The plan was to have the rocket bike be fired off a 108-foot ramp at a 56-degree angle. It had to travel 1,400 feet, because if it didn't clear the canyon, it would be a 500-foot drop to the river below. The Sky Cycle has an open cockpit, and it was a tight fit to get evil in and out of it. They kicked around the idea of putting an ejecting cockpit in it, but the cost was too much, and the idea was scrapped. I'm it's kind just of, safety. It's fine. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering if he uh, wished he would have changed his mind and opted for the ejecting cockpit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, versus what ended up happening that might have made the jump a success. Yeah. yeah. Well, as the men worked on designing the Sky Cycle, Evil got to work acquiring more money for the jump and convincing news stations to come broadcast the launch. There was a rumor going around that he was going to get paid $6 million for the jump. Oh, really? But he just had somebody, like, write up a fake check for him. Uh-huh. And then they took all these pictures. <laughs> <laughs> this is all publicity, folks. He's not getting paid for this. Yeah. Well, he then set off in a Learjet to visit 39 cities in 12 days to promote the jump. The time for the jump was approaching and Evil was starting to get worked up. I'm, I'm betting that's a nerve-wracking thing for somebody. Mm -hmm. During one press meeting, he got so upset at a cameraman that he hit him with his cane. <laughs> when asked if he was going to apologize to the cameraman, he just got more upset at everybody. Mm -hmm. His nerves were a wreck and by this time he was drinking more. Not a good combo. No. Well, he had one jump scheduled before the big jump. On August 20th in Toronto, Canada, just 19 days before he was going to launch a sky cycle over the Snake River Canyon. Even though folks told him not to do it, he was committed. He had plans to have his two sons, Kelly, now 13, and Robbie, now 11, perform with him. He also wanted to collect the 65 grand for the jump. Which is just over $390,000 today. Yeah, walking away from 400 grand would be a little tough. Mm -hmm. Well, Evil jumped over 13 Mack trucks, and it was a big success. He and his two boys were able to drive around doing wheelies together, and this would be the start of Robbie's career as a stuntman. 
A week before the launch, Evil went to Twin Falls to get ready for the big day. The engineers needed more time, but there wasn't any left. They wanted to do a test run to make sure everything went well, and they were shut down. Finally, on August 25, 1974, the team was able to launch off the test rocket. It was all done in secret as they didn't want the press to show the test and diminish from the actual launch. Mm -hmm. The original Sky Cycle was launched months prior. It fell and it sank into the river. I don't know if they ever recovered it or not. It may still be just down there for the fish. (laughs) Yeah. X-1 was launched and the parachute system malfunctioned, causing the Sky Cycle to instantly drop into the river. Things were looking a little grim here for evil. (laughs) Yeah, it's not a happy thought. Like, oh. (laughs) Shit. The plan to fix the issue with the parachute was to remove the autopilot, meaning that now Evil would have to operate the parachute manually. He had to hold on to a lever, and if he blacked out from the G-forces, his hand would go limp, and the lever would open the chute. This would later prove to be kind of a terrible idea. Mm Mm-hmm. The big day was approaching. People came from all over to camp out in the area and watched the launch. Members of the Hells Angels were there. The Butte High School marching band came to perform, and reporters were everywhere. This was not a family outing. It was said that the area looked more like a biker rally than a daredevil jump. Mm -hmm. The police were having a difficult time keeping the crowd under control. This was a small town at the time, Twin Falls was. So to have population of 30,000 folks, roughly. Yeah, and you're getting, let's say, another 30,000 folks in for Mm -hmm. one thing. How do you control that? You know? Yeah. They had placed a chain link fence around the edge of the cliff, and there was a fear that the crowd would rush to the edge and then push the fence over and push people over the edge. Mm hmm. That would be a big concern. (laughs) They had concession stands brought in, and uh, they were offering hamburgers and hot dogs. They also had beer that was 50 cents a can. About three bucks today. Not too bad. Now you're averaging about nine or ten bucks for a tall boy. Yeah. And then they charged $2.50 for a six-pack. About 15 bucks today. Sounds about fair, going to the gas station. And then $9 for a case. It should be about 54 bucks. So the land around the jump site was used for campers, charging $40. Which would be about 240 bucks today. And then they had drinking fountains and porta-potties brought in as well for everybody. Nice. The night before the jump turned into mayhem. The crowd had pushed over the beer truck, tore it open, and started handing out beers. They set the concession trucks on fire, as well as the porta-potties. That's why we can't have nice things. <laughs> the chief of police didn't have enough men to provide support to stop the rioters, and he didn't know what else to do. An idea came to him to ask the Hells Angels for support. He paid them a thousand bucks worth of free beer and free food. Which is about $6,000 today. The next morning, the bikers were all lined up along the fence to keep people away from the cliff's edge. And it worked. The people stayed back. Lucky for them, huh? Mm-hmm. The day of the jump, Evil had his wife and kids with him at the site. His mother came from Reno to support him, and his father had been there for the past week to help him set up. His grandma was there as well as his half-sisters. The Sky Cycle was dedicated by his cousin, saying, Guide him to a successful landing, Lord, whether it be on earth or in heaven. Evil was then carried through the air by a crane to the launch pad. He was helped into the cockpit and strapped into the sky cycle. The announcer called out on the speaker saying, Happy landings, evil. (laughs) And the countdown began. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, 
four, three, two, one, launch. Evil was now traveling faster than he had ever traveled, reaching speeds of 200 miles per hour. He reached speeds of 400 miles per hour when he hit the height of its arc 2,000 feet in the air. Well, unfortunately, things didn't go as planned. The parachute deployed when the sky cycle was leaving the launch ramp. Evil went up and came right back down. The crowd rushed the fence, all trying to get a glimpse of Evil dead in the bottom of the river. Evil could be seen in the cockpit trying to unclip his harness from his suit. He knew if he was going to land in the water, he could drown if he didn't get out. That big old thing's just going to sink. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they had adjusted his suit and had uh, the clips re-sewn into a different position for him to easily get them off. Mm-hmm. But he had two suits. They only altered the one of the two suits. Oh, no. And the one suit that they had altered got dirty. And he didn't want to wear it because it was dirty. Uh So he put the other one on. And so he was now stuck in it. And they say that it was probably a good thing for him that it didn't actually make it across because he wouldn't have been able to get back out without help. Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Well, luckily, the rocket had bounced off an outcropping at the near side of the canyon, ricocheted fell 50 feet more, and then came to a stop in some brush just a few feet from the Snake River. The cameras were unable to capture the rescue. Everyone thought that he was dead. Linda and the children did not know what to think or do. Two men in a boat were able to get to him and cut him out of the harness. He was helped out of the rocket and then loaded into the boat. Evil was alive. The crowd went wild when it was announced over the intercom. The following morning, Evil did not make the front page of all the newspapers like he was hoping. Uh Rather, they had all talked about the president, Gerald Ford, announcing that he had pardoned Richard Nixon. (laughs) They put Evil on, like, page three. (laughs) Oh, poor fella. Sure, this cost them millions of bucks to get set up. Yeah. Well, the launch site is still there today, and we had the chance to go take a look at it. Mm -hmm. Uh, We happened to park at the visitor center by the Perrine Memorial Bridge. We unloaded our electric adventure bikes and took off to find the site. Near the bridge is a granite monument that was placed for Evil where it says, Robert Evil Knievel, explorer, motorcyclist, and daredevil, attempted a mile-long leap of the Snake River Canyon on September 8, 1974, employing a unique sky cycle. The large dirt ramp is visible two miles east of this point on the south ridge of the canyon. So we rode to the site and attempted to ride our bikes up the steep hill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mine gave out like halfway. I think you were went a little bit further than I did. A little bit, not far. Yeah. Then we had to get off and walk them the rest of the way. And yeah. it is steep. Yeah. Luckily, they're electric bikes and they can just power their sails up. Uh-huh. You rode it back down, though, didn't you? Uh-huh. Yeah, I wasn't going to. I walked it down. <laughs> yeah. It's a little sketchy. Yeah. Well, as you stand on top of the mound, you can see out over across the river and you just kind of can't help but wonder what was going through Evil's head when he was standing there in the exact same spot. Mm, Yeah. It's a mile across. It's insane. Yeah. Well, today when you go see the site, you might get the privilege of watching some base jumpers jump off the Perrine Bridge. Yes. That was cool. Yeah, when we returned from the jump, the jump site, we kind of hung around and watched the guys jump. And it was really exciting to see these, like, modern-day daredevils kind of paying uh, homage to Evil, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That was fun. Well, Evil stepped out of the daredevil limelight and started spending his time golfing. 
giving speeches, and signing autographs. Probably kissing a few babies, shaking hands. <laughs> uh, he was I thought a, they signed the babies. Yeah. Okay. He was approached by British promoter John Daly to come to England and perform some stunts for him. Evil found a new audience, one that had not seen him jump live, one that was excited to pay to see him, and one that hadn't badmouthed him in the papers for failing to make the Snake River jump. On May 6th of 1978, he arrived in London to prepare to jump at Wembley Stadium. A few weeks prior, he had shipped everything he needed for the jump in a cargo container across the sea. He made sure they were able to fit his cherry red Cadillac Eldorado. <laughs> England loved everything about him, from his outfit and cane with wild turkey inside to his outlandish ideas. His Cadillac was a sight to see as they did not have that car there. I'm sure everybody's like, what is this? Mm -hmm. Steering wheel's on the wrong side. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's a news article I uh, read that they wrote about him in England. Hmm. And he's laying in bed, and then he's loading a pistol. He's got all of his rings on, and his little glass of wild turkeys right there next to him. And they're talking about how bad of a daredevil he is, and everything. Oh Lord! <laughs> they did a really good job, like putting him in a different light there. Uh -huh. Well, evil soaked up every bit of the energy, but when the day came for the jump, he was getting super nervous. I bet. Well, on May 27th of 1975, he stood inside Wembley Stadium looking at the setup. He said he couldn't do it. He needed more room on the takeoff ramp to get up to speed. The ramp was the same style of ramp that he used at the L.A. Coliseum, but this one was shorter, and it was a longer jump. After he took a nap in his trailer, he said he could do it, and that he'd find the speed somewhere, right? Just pull it out <laughs> of midair. He was already committed. The tickets had been sold, and he had a new outfit made of blue leather just for the jump. So how could he back out now, right? Yeah, yeah. He's got a fancy outfit. Mm -hmm. So seventy to 90,000 people were there to watch him jump. The difference in the number is based on several different sources. But if you ask evil, 120,000 people were there. Mm, I'm sure. Either way, this was the largest live crowd that he would perform in front of. He took a few test runs down the track, and after the third test, he gave the thumbs up. It was go time. He came soaring down the ramp, attempting to reach 95 miles per hour, the speed he felt he needed to clear the 130-foot jump. As the bike launched into the air, he was doomed. The track was not long enough, not high enough, and was too flat at the takeoff. So if you watch the video of it, he's barely flying over the buses. I'll find it on YouTube and put a link mm -hmm. in the show notes here for you. So his front wheel came down first on the plywood that covered the last two buses. This made the bike bounce high into the air. Evil was thrown forward, but he tried to hold onto the handlebars in what looks like an attempt to push the bike in the opposite direction. He tried to hold on, but he was eventually thrown over the handlebars and flipped. When he landed, he started to tumble and roll down the remaining track, and the bike followed him like a magnet to metal. The bike just wouldn't stop. Evil eventually stopped, but the bike didn't. It rolled on top of him, causing more destruction. In the video, you can see someone running up to get the bike off him, and they grab the handlebar to try to pull it off. But this caused the engine to rev and the rear tire to spin, barely missing his head. Freaky looking. Whoops. Well, once the bike was off, the team removed his helmet and helped him onto a stretcher. The crowd went wild. He was alive. The men were headed towards an ambulance, but Evil had a different plan. He had them take him to the ramp and then help him up. He walked up to the ramp and then asked for a microphone and made an announcement that people could not believe. Ladies and gentlemen of this wonderful country, 
I have to tell you that you are the last people in the world who will see me jump, because I will never, ever, ever jump again. I'm through. There was a lot of booing and cheers after that, and you could just see the blood running down his hand. He was barely able to stand up. Evil was in bad shape. Evil took one painful step after another with the help of his friends down the ramp. He refused to be carried out. So hours later, he arrived at the Royal London Hospital in Whitechapel. 36-year-old Evil was diagnosed with a broken right hand, a compressed fracture of the fourth and fifth vertebrae in the lower part of his spine, a fractured left pelvis, and a seven and three-quarter inch split in his right pelvis. He stayed in the hospital for 11 days, then rested at the Tower Hotel for five days and arrived back home in Butte on June 10, 1975. The airing of the jump was delayed because it needed to be edited. Evil called the producer and begged him to cut out the ending, but ABC refused. Wide World of Sports aired the jump, the slow walk up the ramp, and his retirement speech. You can see the entire thing online, and it's extremely sad to watch him slowly walk mm-hmm. up the ramp. But this wasn't the end for Evil. He wasn't going to give up after a failed jump. Not this guy. Nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he rested for a few months in Butte, and by October, he was ready to get back out and show the world that he was not yet ready to retire. On October 25th, 1975, Evil prepared to make another jump. But this one would be different. He was going to jump 14 Greyhound buses. He arrived in Ohio two weeks before the jump so he could help get things prepared at Kings Island. This time, rather than get to the town early to party and sleep with women, he got there early so he could do some practice jumps. He had made up his mind that this was going to be his last jump, and he was going to make sure that he lands the jump this time. Yeah, or else you just can't retire. Yeah. <laughs> How much can your body handle? Uh-huh. Well, practice jumps like this were an uncommon thing for evil. Usually he would just jump over a truck or two the day before in the parking lot, but this time he went over every detail of the jump. October 25th, 1975, 37-year-old Evil prepared to jump in front of 25,000 folks for his last big jump. He did three warm-up runs down the ramp, then gave the thumbs up. He was ready. He came flying down the ramp, launched the bike over the buses, and made a successful landing on the other side. His final speech to the audience went like this. If a man is a real professional, he has to realize he cannot go beyond a point of no return. And a motorcycle doesn't have wings on it. I'm going to continue to perform around the world with my two sons. But I've jumped far enough. I'm going to walk away from here along with you. And I hope to come back and walk away year after year. That's a professional. 52% of the televisions in America were watching Wide World of Sports when he jumped at Kings Island. It was estimated that 55 million people watched it. This ultimately would be the highest rated show in Wide World's 45 years in production. Well, he may not have had a large audience watching live, but he sure had a large audience at home watching and supporting him. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. So what is a daredevil supposed to do once he's retired? Mm, (laughs) I don't know. A lot of wild turkey, golf. Yeah. I don't know. Well, he uh, bought more boats. Played golf and slept with more women, of course. There's more women to sleep with, for sure. (laughs) He was only 37. Yeah. (laughs) Evil lived up his retirement, enjoying everything he had worked so hard to build. 
Yes, he would still spend time with the family and hold true to his word of jumping with his boys, but he spent more time enjoying his money. He spent money almost as fast as he was making it, but he didn't care. He was able to Knievel. Mm-hmm. He also tried acting in a movie, The Bionic Woman, but it actually proved that he was a terrible actor. <laughs> no. Not a good call. Yeah. Well, in 1976, Sheldon Saltman got to work writing a book about evil. Sheldon had spent time with evil while he was flying around from state to state to promote a Snake River jump. The title of the book is Evil Knievel on Tour. The book was released in January of 1977, and if it didn't fly off the shelves when it first published, I'm betting it flew off the shelves after what Evil did because of the book. In the book, he goes into detail about Evil firing a gun while they were staying at a hotel, as well as all the drinking and sleeping around with other gals. Yeah, he wanted the guys in the pool to go to bed, and they wouldn't, and they were being loud. So he grabbed a gun and fired it out the window of his hotel room (laughs) and then called the cops and said that somebody was firing a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Needless to say, everybody went to bed. (laughs) Uh Well, on September 21st, Evil and his men went to 20th Century Fox Studios to meet Sheldon. The two of them did not have an appointment, but Evil did not care. As Sheldon came walking out, Evil's two men grabbed him and held on to him as Evil began to hit him with a metal baseball bat. (laughs) Terrible. Mm -hmm. He caused damage to both Sheldon's wrists, giving him compound fractures. A warrant was put out for his arrest, and later that night, Evil was arrested. He was booked on suspicion of assault with a deadly weapon and quickly released on a $1,000 bill, which is about $5,200 today. So Evil told his attorney that he wanted to plead guilty to the charges. He did what witnesses said he did, and he felt Sheldon deserved it. Though he was advised not to plead guilty, he did it anyway. His attorney resigned, and Evil was left to his own defense. He told the courtroom his actions were based on... A vicious book of pornography. He continues on saying that he broke Sheldon's arm... Well, because you're right with your hands. Right? (laughs) The sentencing took place on November 14th in 1977. The judge sentenced him to 180 days in the Los Angeles County Jail, plus three years probation. The judge was not impressed with his actions, saying, Long ago, we abandoned the concept of frontier justice here in California and in the civilized world. Evil told the courts that he would go bankrupt if he wasn't allowed to work. So the courts granted his request to be transferred to a work furlough program. This meant that he would only have to spend weeknights and weekends in jail. He was given one week to get his affairs in order and was to return on November 21st at the county courthouse. Evil was placed in his jail cell but didn't have to stay long. Every day a chauffeur would arrive to take him to the office. One day, Evil got this idea. He wanted to do something for the inmates. Several of the men were on a work furlough program, like him, but the men would be picked up in a bus and taken to work. Evil had a dozen Cadillac limousines arrive at the jail on January 3, 1978, to take the 117 members of the work program to their jobs. This caused a bit of an uproar with the warden. While he was locked up, cells for his evil Knievel stunt cycle plummeted. Another blow came when he was considered a felon for not returning back to jail on time. He was brought in front of the judge again, who told him, Carrying on like a celebrity in jail is a spectacle. Offensive. I want it stopped. That means no more signing autographs, distributing souvenirs, 
You are not Evil Knievel, the daring daredevil. You are a low, deluded coward, an inmate with a booking number. You ought to spend the rest of your time in jail in self-examination. Do your time like a man. Do it with some dignity. While in jail, debt collectors started coming after him, including the U.S. government, for $3 million in back taxes. Which is about $14.6 million. Pay your taxes, people. Yeah. Anyone who had anything to do with evil was owed money in some fashion. The problem was he had no money. And now with the cells of his toy dropping, Ideal wanted nothing to do with him. Ideal Toy made an announcement that on March 28, 1978, they were taking the evil toys off the marketplace. Evil was released from jail on April 12, 1978, but everything he had worked for was falling apart. He was about to lose his house, his boats, planes, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so happened so often. It's the rock star story, right? Yeah. Well, Evil did what he could to try and keep things afloat for him and the family. On May 14th, 1979, Linda gave birth to Alicia, their fourth child. And he was actually there this time for the delivery. The only child he was there for. Yeah, his oldest was like 20 at this time. Oh, yeah. There was a big gap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a time to not make any more, but we are. <laughs> well, things continue to get worse for him and the family. And on August 21st of 1980, the dream house in Butte was taken away from him. Then on December 22nd, 1981, a civil court awarded Shelley Saltman, the guy that he beat up with the bat, $12.75 million in damages for the attack. Which is $41.5 million today. That's going to hurt. Uh-huh. Especially when you don't have it. Yep. Well, his family life, or what was left of it, was falling apart. He and Linda were no longer living together, and Evil started working with his son Robbie to promote his jumps. A little side note here, on April 14th of 1989, Robbie successfully jumped the fountains at Caesar's Palace. And he did it in honor of his dad. Yeah, kind of cool. Mm-hmm. With more time on his hands, he started driving around in his motor home with his sky cycle inside. He would stop at different locations, let people see the sky cycle up close, and would sign autographs. It wasn't bringing in much money, but he enjoyed being out on the road again. He would also participate in charity golf tournaments. Evil loved to golf almost as much as he loved riding his motorcycle. A lot safer golfing than jumping on a motorcycle. (laughs) (laughs) Typically, yeah. Well, he would place these crazy bets on every swing he would make with his clubs, like, I'm going to bet you $1,000 that I can sink it from here. Kind of dumb stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Well, in 1992, at one of the charity events, he met a 22-year-old from Florida named Crystal Kennedy. He was 52 at this point and still married to Linda. The two of them began spending more time together and eventually started to live together in Clearwater. Mm -hmm. Home of the Hooters. Yeah, the first Hooters, you said, huh? Yep, yeah. yep, right there in Clearwater, Florida. Is it still there? I believe so, yeah. Oh, cool. Yep. She was the perfect companion for him on the golf course. They would play as a pair against another pair. Evil would make all the crazy bets he always made, and then in came Crystal. She would make the hit and win the bet for him. Off the golf course, it was a bit of a different story. The two of them would just fight. The fighting got so bad that one October night in 1994, the cops were called out to the motel they were staying at. Evil had left the motel and went to a go-go dancing bar, but Crystal was still there when the cops arrived. She had red marks on her face and neck and told him that Evil had done it. He was arrested and booked in the county jail, but Crystal refused to press charges and the two stayed together. 
After 38 years of marriage, Evil and Linda were divorced in 1997. Two years later, on November 19, 1999, Evil and Crystal were married. The wedding was held at Caesar's Palace. They had an altar built on top of the fountains, and Evil drove up on his Harley-Davidson motorcycle. Crystal, who did not ride motorcycles, was escorted to the altar by a fake Caesar and a fake Cleopatra. I know. (laughs) He was 61 years old at this point, and she was 30. Well, after the marriage, his health quickly declined. On January 28th of 1999, he had surgery to replace his liver. He had contracted hepatitis C during one of his multiple surgeries in the past, and drinking, while turkey, of course, was not helping it. Because of the transplant, he had to take multiple medications, and these would cause him to have out-of-control mood swings. Robert and Crystal were married for less than two years before they were divorced. They remained friends, but it was never the same. At this time, she was much more of a live-in caretaker. Towards the end of his life, he was on oxygen full-time and struggling to get around. Most of Evil's records, he said, have been beaten, but there is one record he set that has yet to be beat. He had broken 433 bones in his body. Try beating that record. I don't think anybody wants to beat that one. Nope. Well, and the pain of all this was catching up to him now. Yeah, I mean, he had metal implants all over his body. Hmm. There was one story right in the book, which we'll put the book in the show notes for you guys. It's an awesome book. But one of the guys that was traveling with Evil said that he showed up with a suitcase and Evil opened it up and it was like all velvet lined inside and there was all these metal pieces inside of it. And the guy asked him, what is all this? And Evil goes, it's all my spare parts in case I have to go to the hospital. I've got parts in here for him. (laughs) (laughs) wow so you can only imagine all that metal inside of his body has just got to be killing him Mm -hmm. well on november 30th 2007 robert evil knievel passed away at the age of 69 he was living in clearwater with crystal and had hospice coming in he died in his bed suffering from diabetes and complications from idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis He didn't die in a crash like so many people and maybe even himself thought that he would. Mm. His body was transported to Butte for the funeral on December 10th, 2007. The funeral was held in the Butte Civic Center, which was the same place the Butte Bombers had played their hockey games. Mm -hmm. Evil wanted his funeral to be more of a celebration of his life rather than a sad event. And that is what he got. Fireworks lit up the sky in Butte as the hearse brought his casket to the funeral services. Several folks were dressed up in their evil Knievel outfits. Friends and family got up and told fun and exciting stories that happened to them while the daredevil was in their lives. Actor Matthew McConaughey, who had met Evil in 05 for a History Channel profile on him, even gave a short speech. Kind of fun. Mm. It was uh, saying that a lot of the girls went to the funeral just to see Matthew McConaughey. (laughs) (laughs) Aww. It's kind of funny. Well, the world-famous Daredevil, the man that paved the way for extreme sports as we know it today, the man that inspired countless books, movies, songs, and apparel, the icon of so many boys and girls, was laid to rest in his hometown of Butte, Montana. We went to the Mountain View Cemetery to visit him. He has a large headstone marking his resting spot just off the cemetery road. You cannot miss it. Mm-hmm. The side facing the road has an etching of the sky cycle with the words Robert Evil Knievel, Explorer, Motorcycle, and Daredevil. 
a mile-long leap of the Snake River Canyon from this point on September 8, 1974, employing a unique sky cycle. A man can fall many times in life, but he's never a failure if he tries to get up. On the other side of the stone is an edging of Knievel on his motorcycle with the front wheel in the air, cape and helmet on. Below that reads Robert Craig Knievel, Evil. October 17, 1938 to November 30, 2007, Butte, Montana. Words to live for? Faith, health, education, love, work, honor, ability, dream. Believe in Jesus Christ. Amen. And an American flag sits below all that. The headstone's about six foot tall and is made of white marble. So I remember looking at the section that read a mile long leap from the Snake River Canyon from this point. Uh And I thought he didn't jump from here. The Snake Canyon's like in a whole nother state. (laughs) I mean, I know the man's crazy, but there's no possible way that this could happen. Uh, Well, I have since found that 30 years prior to his passing, he had this marker created to generate publicity about the Snake River Canyon jump. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he asked the creators of the stone to store it for him when they were done. And they agreed. When they sold their business, they asked the new owners to watch over the marker, and they also did. Evil called him up one day and asked if he could get the headstone because he wasn't doing so well and wanted to be buried there in Butte. Yeah. He rests next to his grandparents, the people who raised him and stood by his side. His grandpa passed away in 1972, and his grandma passed away in 1997 at the age of 103. Good for her. Mm -hmm. His father is also in the Mountain View Cemetery, as well as his brother, Nicholas. And we're actually going back up to Butte in October for our birthdays and wedding anniversary. Mm -hmm. And by doing research on the the legend Evil Knievel, we found some places we want to check out while we're there. So if things work out and we're able to get pictures of them, we'll make sure to share them with you guys. We found like the house they grew up in and and things like that. So Yeah, we'll definitely be putting some stuff out on the Instagram and all that. Maybe we'll figure out the TikTok thing. Uh-huh, yeah. Put some of that out. Do a video. Yeah. All righty, folks. Well, that wraps up part two of Evil Knievel. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, by now, you kind of know where to find us, right? <laughs> Instagram, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Links in the show notes. Yes. So um, are we uh, doing another I dad joke? I am doing jump? a dad joke. Okay. I <laughs> thought you might. <laughs> okay, so what do you call a stunt writer from the 12th? How do you say that? 1200s. 1200s? Okay. Would that be the 13th century? Yes. Okay. Okay, so what do you call a stunt writer from the 1200s? What do you call a stunt writer from the 1200s? Yeah, the 13th century, you know, what would you think? You don't know? I No. I... <laughs> Medieval Knievel. <laughs> Medieval Knievel. Maybe he was the person that started it all for Evil Knievel. <laughs> it's his great, 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 great grandpa. <laughs> Me- <laughs> wow. I know. Medieval Knievel. <laughs> all right. Well, let's end this on some advice from the. That's you reading that. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, let's. I was end so this. flustered from your incredible <laughs> joke. I had to pick myself back up I off know, the floor. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, let's end this on some advice from the legend himself. Follow your dreams, no matter what they are, or you'll never amount to anything. It's better to take a chance in life than to never take a chance. I'm not saying go jump a canyon, but you have to take chances. Next time, I'll take more. Safe jumping. We'll see you all down the road. Well, they had to, well, they had a, hold on. They had placed a chain link fence. You need a moment? Which is about $1,000 today. It's not even close. And complications from idiopathic, right? Idiopathic.